Hi everybody, I'm Matt Eastland. And I'm Lakshmi Balthasan. Welcome back to the Food Fight podcast from EIT Food, Europe's leading innovation community working hard to make the food system more sustainable, healthy and trusted. On the podcast menu today, we've got bugs and creepy crawlies in our food. Yes, you heard that right, everybody. So for most people, keeping insects well out of the kitchen is the main aim. But today, our guests are trying to do the complete opposite and introduce insects to solve some of the food system's biggest challenges. On the podcast today, we have Philip Egley. He's a co-founder of Crick, a Swiss company producing insect-based foods for human consumption. Their first products include crackers made from crickets. Very intriguing. Welcome to the show, Philip. I'm really looking forward to hearing all about this. Hi, guys. Nice to be here. Great. Thanks, Philip. And also with us, we have the brilliant Mihar Pippin, who is the co-founder of Better Origin, a company using insects as a tool in the production line. So their insect mini farms have been developed to convert local waste from agriculture and industry into high quality animal feed, essentially helping farmers to produce more with less. Welcome to the show, Mihar. Thank you very much for having me. Looking forward to this conversation, guys. Brilliant. Great for you to be here. So I think about 15 years ago, there was gift shops uh, starting to selling what people refer to as gross candy. Uh, things like curried locusts, lollipops and scorpions. My first experience was at a botanical garden where I tried a chocolate covered cricket. And I must say the cricket was the best part of it. The chocolate, not so good. <laughs> um, and all in all, so, you know, these products were sort of a, a gimmick, a novelty item. And I guess the fun was all about it being like a bush tucker trial. So bringing things up to date today with insects in the food system, and they are still a novelty, have we got to a point where they're now in necessity? Miha, what do you think? I mean, that's that's a very interesting uh, first experience, I guess, of eating insects. And I must say mine was very similar. <laughs> um, it traditionally had this element of like, almost like a trial, right? Do you dare to try this thing? And the problem with that is you try it once, whether you like it or not, you probably don't go back to it. So it wasn't really a, an offering in culinary terms or in nutritional terms. But I think that's changed a lot since then. And I would say particularly in the past five, 10 years, we've seen a momentous change from you know discussing the theory of using insects in Western food to mm. there being companies now that are focusing on this, much like Philips. So, um, yeah, I think it's very exciting that we're heading in this direction. And I'm sure we're going to touch on the different points in this conversation, why that might be so. And what about you, Philip? Do you think we're still looking at insects as a novelty or at this stage where right now with sustainability, has it become a necessity? I still feel it as a novelty. Many customers we talk to are kind of surprised that you can eat insects, even though it has been legalized uh, three years ago in Switzerland. So it's not really entered the mainstream food chain, I would say, so far. But on the other hand, yes, it's becoming more and more clear that we need to change the agricultural system. This is a message that has reached the mainstream, thanks to Greta and the climate youth. And so I think more and more people are asking themselves, how can we eat uh, in a way that, you know, is not destroying the planet? And insects is one possible solution. I'm not trying to say it's the only one. Thanks, Philip. Um, I mean, Miha, obviously, Philip's just 
touched on quite an important point there about the sustainability and saving the planet. And, you know, why do you passionately feel that insects are the answer in terms of what you're doing with them? Yeah, I mean, I feel insects are part of the bigger answer because of the science that's backing up this sector so far. So it's not just, uh, you know, something cool and novel and I'm not going to say sexy because they're not <laughs> sexy, but uh, it's it's got, you know, there's meat on these bones, let's put it that way. So insects are undoubtedly more sustainable in terms of protein production alone. If you look at water use, if you look at land use, if you look at the energy requirements, if you go into any kind of advanced processing um, overall, if you compare it to animal sources of protein, which is, you know, in terms of the quality of protein, quite comparable, it is something that makes a lot of sense from the various directions of where sustainability is going to affect us. Because, you know, it's not just emissions, that's going to be a generalization, but there's, you know, maybe urban locations or locations where land comes at a premium and there's not even a possibility to grow primary protein you know, in the traditional way that requires lots of land. Or there might be spaces where water is extremely limited and where, you know, a traditional crop or beef protein might not be an opportunity at all. And in those situations, insects can really, really change the game. Um, uh, on top of all that, it's also the fact that many insect species will be able to utilize a various range of biomass inputs to grow this protein and fat and, you know, all the other nutrients present in them. So. It, it is this fundamental technology that allows you to turn waste into nutrient opportunity. And, you know, with an ever-changing world, ever more so if we look at the past year, these kind of resilient, sustainable technologies are going to have to play part in any long-term answer. Yeah, that, that is a super useful summary. Thanks for that, Miha. A really great way to kick off the show, actually. Um, Philip, coming back to you. So can we get straight to your products at Crick? So what are you actually trying to do? You know, so talk us through the product itself. So um, the product, what we uh, sell now is a, a cracker. We call it Kneke. Looks like a large coin. Let's call it that way. Mm -hmm. um, it contains seeds. And it, it does contain cricket powder. So that is where the, the main protein ingredient comes from. And uh, through that um, channel, it also contains iron, um, calcium and folic acid. So that is something that we are very happy and proud of that we you know, use as one of the uh, arguments to, to show to the customer. If you're eating this, you're doing something good for your health because we mm -hmm. believe that the customer is sort of egoistic to convince them, we, we feel like we need to come through to their benefits first and then talk about the environment in the second place. Yeah. Um, and that's why we our slogan is, it's good for you and it's good for your planet. And so we have these health benefits and then we have these environmental benefits, which Miha has uh, very much summarized. That is kind of our punchline as well. Okay. And... I guess what we're trying to do in a marketing sense is we're trying to use the protein argument and pitch this to people that are naturally looking for protein, uh, which would be, you know, people doing lots of sports and which have now more and more become aware of this ecological, you know, need to transition to some more sustainable protein source. 
And once we build up a customer base with these uh, protein-hungry people, we can use them as sort of an entry to the mass market. Okay, yeah, that's really useful. So you're kind of going after the kind of the nutritious and the sustainability side, which is super interesting. Um, and just staying yes. with you just for one second, Philip. So how did you actually, well, how, first of all, how did you get into this, right? I mean, so to go from whatever you were doing before into insects, I imagine for a lot of people that that's quite a jump. So were you just sat in the garden just one day thinking, well, I'm going to start eating bugs because I, I think they're super nutritious or, you know, what, what's your what's your story? Where should I start? It's a, it, it could be a really long story. No, uh, I mean, so my, my training is climate economics. So um, I'm working in the, in the power market mainly. And the, the cricket business is something I do on the side together with my wife and a, a work colleague. And um, so actually we were sitting together and talking about, you know, a few years back uh, when, when insects were legalized, we were talking about different ways in, in which a consumer um, can take action. And we were mm -hmm. saying that, you know, we are young people, it's our generation uh, that is now shaping the world and we want to, you know, play our part. And it was not enough for us to, to be only a consumer. We thought we also want to be a producer. And so the first thing that we started to do is we tried to um, start growing insects ourselves. None of us is, uh, you know, uh, biology or, or insect expert, but we still managed to, to build a, a, an insect growing facility. And we did that for about one to two years. And then we realized that that's so much work and it's commercially really hard to, to come to a, a profit. And so we, we switched the strategy and started to focus on the marketing and what we do now is we import the crickets from Holland because they actually have 10 years uh, advance or a head start in, in this field so they're much more uh, productive and yeah amazing okay and sorry me I'm, I'm, I'm staying on this just for a second so just for the listeners so you receive these crickets and then you process them into flour, I'm assuming. So how does that actually work? How do you take an insect and turn it into flour? Okay, yeah. So um, there are different kinds of, of dehydration methods. What we used to do is kind of low-tech. We put them in an oven and we uh, cooked them at low temperature for quite a long time. And we dried them with heat. Uh, there is more advanced techniques like microwaves, um, and I believe many others like um, leophilization, I guess is the English word, which is very advanced technology and costly infrastructure. That's something that we could not afford to have ourselves. Um, so we, we went the low tech uh, way and we, we dried them in a, in a large oven. And our insects, the, the insect powder is kind of low tech. It's something that people have eaten for thousands of years. It's a protein source that is tried and tested, and it's all natural. So that is kind of the part of the story that we, we tell the people. And the, the taste, um, to be honest, is not overwhelming. It's kind of, I would say, it's a bit boring. I mean, dried <laughs> right. insect powder is, yeah, it's just boring. It's 60% protein, um, but you know, you don't eat it because of the taste, you eat it because of the ingredients. Got it. And that's why we put it in the crackers to, you know, the the goodness, the, the tastiness comes from the other ingredients. 
And Miha, have you tried any of these insect crackers or any of these insect products? Oh my god, you'd be surprised if you knew what I've eaten. <laughs> I, you know, I have this logic that if I'm not going to try it and eat it, then why on earth should anyone else? It's fair. So I've been living by that gospel. <laughs> <laughs> and I've been shoving, you know, maggots in various states uh, into my mouth. <laughs> lovely, lovely. Um, but <laughs> on that note, <laughs> no, uh, I can say this. It's um, processing is definitely one of these magical elements when it comes to turning insects both into more sort of feed uh, commodity type products that are going to go, you know, into pet food or whatever, mm -hmm. as well as into food. There's quite a lot you can do to influence the texture and the flavor based on what process you go through. And as Philip started touching on, you know, there's very interesting technologies out there that can allow for really like creamy powders to come out, but it's always kind of like a trade-off between mm. technology cost and, you know, what you're ultimately going for. Um, but I would say, you know, on, on this kind of flavor front, I, I definitely think this is somewhere where the industry, uh, we have to work harder by bringing it closer to consumers and also we have to work hard on making them taste good because i think mm. it's definitely great now there's this protein hunger market and you know the more kind of sustainability oriented folks that are going to buy these new things but for me the ultimate test here if we're going to be eating insects properly is okay can someone replace you know a meat portion out of their diet with insects and i think to get your average Joe into this, like it, it should cost a normal amount of money, which, you know, is a completely different conversation. But importantly, if it tastes good or if you can make it taste really good, then it's a completely different proposition. Like yeah. we, we tend mm. to love them regardless of how bad they are for us or the <laughs> environment. Um, so if we can reach that point, and I think, you know, from all the work we've done on the processing front, it is possible to turn, you know, squirmy little critters into delicious uh, culinary experiences <laughs> with the right kind of know-how and uh, technology. Yeah, I agree with you. At the end of the day, for consumers, it's about taste. Anything that tastes delicious, whether it's going to be clogging up our arteries, we're going to be all about it. Um, and just sort of coming back to you in terms of, you know, how you use insects. So what led you to set up Better Origin? Um yeah, it was a very kind of accidental start for us, I would say. We were students at the time, and uh, we sort of independently joined this business competition with my co-founder. And uh, we were put together, and, you know, so it kind of started this journey about more than five years ago now. Mm. And um, I didn't think beforehand I would end up in insects. Um, you know, I had different biological plans. <laughs> But when this started, this opportunity started coming along, uh, and you know, this was relatively shortly after the influential FAO paper about eating insects, mm -hmm. and it just everything started clicking. You know, we have these problems of food waste. We have this like disconnected food chain. At the same time, we have more demand. We have a necessity to become more sustainable if we want these systems to persist through time and meet our requirements. And insects really ticked a lot of these boxes and more in their ability to solve some of these problems. So that's sort of how I got into it. And since then, you know, it's, it's been a very interesting journey of um, 
setting up the first facilities to then expanding to designing products to uh, developing technology. I think, you know, a lot of the companies in our sector, it's been a lot of technology development early on. Um, so unlike, let's say, a business where the technology exists and you're just looking for a new application, um, a lot of our work has been in actually you know, how do we grow these insects? Mm. How do we process them afterwards? How do we preserve them? How do we make them safe? How how do you integrate them into animal food? Does it work, you know, when you feed it to animals? Do they like it? Are there benefits? It's been a long journey to make sure that, you know, the science checks out. And I'm happy to say that now it's reached the stage where, you know, the technological risks are starting to kind of wash away. Mm-hmm. It It is more of a question of, you know, let, let's get it, this technology out there. Let's scale it. Let's um, let's start creating impact out of this because uh, there's a long way to go um, to apply these positives that insects might bring in our food chain. And I think now we're in one of these situations where actually we have to be smarter and we have to be faster because mm. we don't have 50 years to organically grow this thing. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And and can we can we talk about your tech? So, you, you know, one of your first solutions is is branded like the automated insect mini farm, I think it was. So uh, from the press photos I've seen, it just looks like this incredibly cool shipping container, right? So I was just wondering for the people listening, could you explain what it is? and how it's going to benefit farmers and the consumers and and almost like walk us through it. So you open the door. If there is a door, what does it look like inside? What goes in? What comes out? You know, it's fascinating stuff. So, no, absolutely. I'm I'm loving that you're saying the word cool associated with this. It is cool. Come on. I know. I agree. But, you know, it's good to hear people that (laughs) say that they are not directly involved in it. (laughs) So um, our goal here our our aim is really to build something we're calling the internet of insects and Mm. that's very much you know like the internet we're looking at a network um, of decentralized capacity to grow insects on various biomasses so that is using these wonderful containers that we've called the x1 nice as a base conversion unit, if you will. So the way it works is it's, you know, your standard shipping container, let's say a 20, 30, 40 foot one, depending on the capacity you want to go for. And it literally does what it says on the tin. You put your waste on one end and then magic happens inside and you get your maggots on the other end. Um, So the technology, it kind of uses it. It takes bits and pieces from a variety of biological engineering and, you know, I guess, computational practices these days. So there's quite advanced uh, preparation of the feedstock. One of the big questions in this industry that's been not slowing it down, but sort of that's always been a concern on everyone's mind is the safety of the feedstocks that are used. So it's very important to ensure that whatever you feed your insects is safe because otherwise it could get transferred down the chain. Um, And there's some smart solutions that would come up there that allow you to actively control um, that safety profile of the feedstock. And this feedstock is prepared on one side of the container, if you will, and then it runs on the other side of the container where we have an automated system. Um, I mean, most of the insect rearing these days is based on some type of container. So um, what we use is, you know, your standard kind of off the shelf, your norm trays, as most other producers are, at least mm-hmm. of the crawling insects. It might be a little bit different for Philip because they have, you know, crickets jump. <laughs> so, yeah. 
is slightly more complicated with them. Um, but when you're growing black soldier fly larvae, which is what we're focusing on, you know, they tend to stay in the in the container you put them on. Right. So there's no there's no risk of you being swarmed by flies. <laughs> no, no, no. So our containers are really only um, they only have the larvae stage of the black soldier fly present in right. there. The flies having sex and laying eggs that happen somewhere else. Lovely. <laughs> um, this is just the sort of business end of it. This is the actual bioconversion. Right. So this is the unit where you can bring X many tons of your waste input. And that could be a variety of things, right? Obviously, within the framework of what's legal right now, which is, you know, it, it, it's quite a specific list. There, There is quite a few limitations still up there, which prevent the full utilization of all sorts of biomass wastes. But it's essentially turning that into insects um, very much by using some interesting logistical advantages from the insect. You know, one of the really crazy things is that a, a baby maggot is going to be less than like a milligram in size, but over the course of two, three weeks, that mass increase can be several thousand fold. Wow. So we're really talking about logistics hacks. You know, you don't need to transport your waste. 50 kilometers up the road you only really need to send a parcel that's going to have i don't know a couple kilos and that's going to be able to deal with tons of material on site and turn it into insects so um these x1s are very much the nodes of this internet of insects we're building and um, the goal here is to provide bioconversion capacity in a flexible manner on farms on food processing um, you know facilities in the future, potentially waste as well, and whatever becomes possible <laughs> as the regulation advances. But it is the, the grand vision is, you know, to solve this problem of biomass wastage, which is also causing a lot of emissions, whilst at the same time effectively upcycling this to prime quality nutrients mm. that mm. can be used currently as feed, but in the future, you know, very much there might be food applications or other applications as well. So with both of your companies, so, you know, the problems you're aiming to solve and the solutions, you know, make a lot of sense using a highly nutrient rich protein source that's going to have a much lower carbon footprint. But for the general public, it's still quite unfamiliar, especially in our Western societies. And a lot of work needs to be done to break the stigma around insects. And, you know, and I guess this perception, this human perception is going to be sort of your first barrier to growth, I imagine. So Miha, like, what are your sort of thoughts on this in terms of the barriers that you currently face? What do you think? Well, I think, you know, we probably have it easier compared to Philip and he'll probably pitch in on this <laughs> afterwards because we are feeding livestock as the first goal, right? So it's not a direct consumption to the consumer, which the stigma makes it a little bit easier from this perspective. Um, what's quite funny actually is, <laughs> you know, a, a lot of the time when we were doing research on this we found out that most consumers don't actually know what livestock eats at the end of the day they don't know what the chicken ate that they're buying in that's a store. interesting once it, it, so they didn't really like a lot of the respondents didn't really have an opinion okay till they kind of started to know actually this is what's happening so what you're offering makes like a lot of sense as a replacement um the ones that maybe are a bit more kind of in touch with farming um, they tend to jump to the conclusions like, duh, like, obviously, you know, we're going to feed them insects. That's what they would eat in nature. Right. They were wild or, you know, old school farming kind of small farms. 
if you look at chickens, for example, which is one of the first markets we were focusing on, I mean, if you give a hen the liberty to do whatever she chooses, like she spends the rest of the day looking for maggots. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so, you know, naturally, when you deliver these kind of things, it, it creates a lot of um, sense, I think, both for the consumer as well as the animal and the entire kind of food system around it. Um, but I will say, yes, it's a, it's a lot easier if you're kind of feeding it to animals yeah. to sort of get it across and get those products. And is used. there, sorry, is there a potential? I, I don't have uh, much in terms of, I've always heard black soldier flies using in feed. Is there exploration of using it as a human source of protein? Um, yeah, I mean, funny that you asked that. I, I think there is potential in that, definitely going forward. Maybe it wasn't really a, you know, it's not kind of like a priority for most black soldier fly companies that I know of. Because um, if you look at the flavor, you know, mealworms and crickets taste way better okay. than black soldier fly larvae as a default. But having said that, and kind of referring to what I said earlier about processing, I think it's by no means <laughs> an end game for black soldier fly and food, right? Um, there are ways to make it taste good. And I think if you start looking at those kind of applications, then I don't really see a reason why they wouldn't eventually end up there. We're probably unlikely to see it anytime soon, though, because uh, most companies that I know of active in this insect species are focusing on feed mm. or mm. some other commodities. Um, so we'll probably have to wait a little bit longer. Okay. okay. Lovely. And and actually, let's flip over to the human side then, shall we? So, Philip, I mean, what are you guys doing to accelerate awareness of your products? And how are you trying to convince the public to change what, you know, what would be like usual cheese and cracker routine into addressing, let's be honest, the yuck factor? Um, I, I was just thinking about the example with the with the hen that is looking for the maggots until the end of all days. And I um, we are looking for that kind of consumer and it's, it's hard to find them. Um, but no, to be honest, we, we think that the flavor, that's the key to make it tasty. That's really the ultimate goal that we are proceeding. And then second one would also be, uh, let's call it the overall appearance. How is it perceived? Is it something that is, you know, cool and, and hip? Or is it something that is kind of, yeah, as you say, disgusting and crazy? And, you know, in, in marketing, that's all, all kind of a, a challenge, but it's also really interesting. And in Switzerland, there is not many companies involved in this. And so what we are trying is to do something, maybe if, if I can, you know, take a, a vision, um, we're trying to do this um, Tesla experiment. So, right. you know, electric cars used to be something that was, you know, the sphere of, of nerds and... And then Tesla uh, came along and made this really cool car. And now everyone wants to buy a Tesla. And the price mm -hmm. is not even a question anymore, really. It's just that this is one of the coolest cars there is. And um, so environment is kind of a, an afterthought. It's just people mm -hmm. want to have this car because it's cool, because it's sexy. And, and that's ultimately what we are trying to do with, with Crick. Uh, that's why we rebranded. That's why we, you know, invested money into into the appearance, into the packaging, and everything. And and I think that's also one of the main differences between food and feed is we are, you know, pitching to a final consumer. So that's what we spent 
the last few months with is, is thinking how to instantly appeal to consumers, how to avoid the, the disgust factor even coming up. Because mm. if you talk to consumers about a slaughterhouse and, you know, how they like to um, or whether they would like to see the the beef being processed into a hamburger, they would all say, no, of course not. And that's the point that Miha made. You know, consumers today are kind of um, very far away from the from the agricultural um, systems and the food production. And so, of course, as you guys, um, many journalists, they always want to talk about this disgust factor, but that's not something, or let's put it this way, it's kind of unfair to talk about it with insects, but then, you know, to avoid talking about this when, when we talk about meat. Um, so that's, mm. we try to, you know, steer the conversation around this topic um, because we feel that, you know, it's it's not beneficial to, to the discussion and it's an unfair um, comparison that no one else in the food industry has to has to face. Mm, that's that's a really good point. Yeah, that's definitely a fair point. I mean, like insects are not a global yuck factor. And, you know, the more I've been working in this field of food, you, I realize that there's an, actually a lot we can learn that Western cultures can learn from Eastern cultures. And, you know, insects are part of the culture. It's part of the dietary norm and widely accepted, right? So is there anything that we can learn that you've been sort of exploring about making insects this sexy gourmet alternative protein that you've been talking about? Um, we actually, when we came up with the, with the name Crick, we were, that's, that was only maybe the third iteration. We had uh, one of the earlier versions was actually to, to use this cultural heritage that is existent in, you know, the Maya culture or the Inca culture, uh, which, you know, were cultures which were living, for example, in, in the Amazon, in, in places where they had a, um, a scarcity of proteins. Uh, they didn't have access to, to fish or other protein sources. And so insects were actually one of the rare protein sources they could consume. And, and that kept them, you know, healthy and, and thriving. And um, until today, you, you have it in Mexican culture or in Mexican uh, diets. Insects are pretty standard. Um, and we have also worked together with Mexican, you know, people in Switzerland, which uh, are trying to promote insects in Switzerland. And um, that's something that, you know, that's always very interesting and very cool. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to seeing how we, we how we, the Western, really start to adopt insects as a normal part of our culture. I, I'm sure it's not going to be straightforward, but I think it's really going to be of great benefit. Definitely. And and just so from talking about like making them attractive to, to consumers to eat, but what about farmers? Um, so Miha, you know, how do you make insect-based waste management something farmers are really interested to get involved in? You know, so is it is it actually a different story on this side? Is it more about profit? Well, it's it's, it's certainly you know if we're looking at um, provision of insects for feed um, to a farmer, it is much more a discussion about the bottom line and the pounds and the pence than packaging and a consumer making a decision to buy you know um mm. like a knuckerbrot replacement <laughs> um so i think there's certainly other drivers behind it but on that topic we see a lot of you know inbound um for our products because farmers are 
more and more aware that actually, you know, the sustainability problems with the current supply chain and that it's likely mm -hmm. that those sustainability problems, although at the moment they might not have uh, an extra monetary burden associated with them, where we are going, that's likely to occur, you know, rather than like dropping costs of plant protein, we might see increasing costs of that. Um, COVID has portrayed how disruptions in global supply chains can happen like that. Something we might have thought, yeah. you know, a year ago, pfft, no way, Jose, but like now it's there. So it is, there's a lot of factors that are affecting farmer interest in the insect. And I think the ability to have more control over one's protein supply is a very strong driving force here. Then there is also changing consumer um, taste and perception, right? I mean, millennials and Gen Zs in particular, I would say, are quite interested in the provenance of their food. Mm. More and more mm. kind of information is required about where it comes from, you know, how it's been grown, is it ethical, and so on and so forth. And we are starting to see that, you know, yes, people are willing to pay maybe a little bit of a premium to go for something that they feel better about in terms of the environment or the footprint that they're living. So I think it's both of these kind of conditions start converging on what sort of drives the decisions in the farmers. And I guess specifically from a better origin business point of view, like how are you looking to accelerate progress and make this scalable? Like what are your plans? The entire R&D cycle we've done for the past five years has been around how do we make this a solution that is scalable, both up and down? Um, so it has to be scalable in terms of, yes, we need to be able to produce thousands of tons through the network per year and so on and so forth. But at the same time, it also has to work at a local level. Because, yeah. you know, I mean, otherwise we're just building another big facility that's going to eventually be bound by the availability of biomass around it. So it, it's going to solve only half of the problem. Um, so with our solution, everything's kind of being geared up to having this thing that can be scaled up and, you know, putting it in a shipping container and kind of building around this modular approach very much embodies that ethos of, you know what, once this is developed, we can go around it and like start printing out these by the hundreds of thousands. <laughs> so I'm happy to say that now the technology, you know, has been de-risked. Um, it is a question of, just starting production and scaling it up. And our company is currently very busy with that for the early adopters of this technology that are going to help us scale it up. But um, yeah, hopefully that answers it. Yeah. I think you've both presented a really good case for, you know, for why insects in the food system are definitely part of the solution. But, you know, how big could this go? So, Philip, I mean, if we adopted uh, consumption of insects as humans across the globe what what impact do you think that would have just the other day i was reading the the agricultural report of switzerland um, which is published by the the government body and uh, it stated that uh, the emissions attributed to the to the agricultural sector account for about i think it was something like 20 percent mm. so a substantial amount of uh, emissions are caused by mainly livestock or a large part is livestock. And so I think if we can start to, you know, trim those emissions down, then that is potentially a really a great impact. I mean, 
it's not going to save the world by itself. You still have, you know, a lot of other issues to, to tackle, but it would be a step in the right direction. But what I would hope for really is, um, you know, Miha, maybe you, you meant that when you said the money's um, is carbon pricing. That's what I'm thinking about. I mean, I'm a, as I said, I'm a climate economist and that's kind of the, the solution that, you know, is, is most obvious, um, is to put a price on, on carbon. And, you know, we, we are all educated to believe that market forces are efficient and lead to, to the best solution. But if we cannot put a price on carbon, how can we expect to solve the climate solution in an efficient manner? We can't and we won't, you know, so that's, it's just really clear. And that would be something that I, I hope that, you know, policymakers, which are thinking about the agricultural policy uh, of the future, that they would take into account. No, that's, that's very interesting I, th I think of this carbon front it very much is the great equalizer yeah regardless yeah. of what kind of industry you look at so you know if our policymakers look into this in more detail i think an industry like ours is going to benefit massively because of its environmental advantages um but in terms of i guess the impact how big of an impact this can have you know what Philip started touching on here is agriculture is a massive source of emissions globally and you know a lot of those emissions will come from wasted food and we're talking gigatons of CO2 equivalents per year so loads for those that don't know what a gigaton is <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot <laughs> it's budgets of countries and <laughs> these kinds of things um and that's just looking like at the food waste element. You know, if we're looking at other kind of biomass inputs that could be processed with insects, like look at manures. You know, manures cause like a huge problem in terms of emissions. Mm -hmm. And, you know, insects, many species of insects have been shown to be able to reduce the volumes to be able to reduce the emissions. It does touch, however, on a very interesting point that Philip made, which is, you know, if you feed insects on, let's say, a less desirable <laughs> type feedstock, what can you do with it? And I think, you know, the solution there is to have potentially a little bit more of an insect-specific legislation in place that allows you to define what kind of feedstocks can insects be fed for a particular application. So, you know, if you're going to use it for human food, I mean, it would be really kind of foolish to try and feed it on manure even though the insects might be completely fine with it and that's part of its natural environment but there would be a lot of risk associated with it however you could still feed insects of the manure and then not use them for food um, but potentially not even for feed you know there are some compounds in insects like its shell the chitin that's used for a variety of industrial applications so you know flocculants to you know, it's a, it's a source of fiber, really. So you could look at insects as more than just like, oh, let's go for food and feed. There's other commodities out there that could be produced from it. And we're really then starting to look at this circular economy and insects being a circular economy driver. Yeah, I mean, it's really early days. So it's really exciting to see how this industry progresses. So on that note, so tell us about what's next, next for both of you. So, Philip, what's next for Crick? Crick? Um... I can tell you what we did last is a crowdfunding, 
which we successfully cool. completed in, in July. That was a, a first big step for us to, to, you know, to get the name out. And now we're building up the customer base. We're looking at direct sales from private people, but also thinking about different ways in how we can reach businesses and, and serve them bigger portions at a time. Yeah, absolutely. No, good luck and uh, well done in the crowdfunding. Thanks. What about you, Miha? What's next for Better Origin? Oh, we're busy now <laughs> deploying modules. Um, so we've got another module coming online in the next few weeks. And we're kind of at these final stages of, you know, getting this technology verified, if you will, in commercial environments on actual farms rather than just theoretically and in academic setups. Um, so what's next for us is scaling this. How do we get, you know, tens, hundreds of these out over the coming years? Besides that as well, getting the name out there, getting better origin, you know, our operating brand out there, creating a bit more of a social media presence, taking part in the conversation out there because um, we've developed quite a lot of knowledge and, you know, being kind of like nerds, <laughs> uh, we, we know about it, but um, it, it doesn't help you if you're not part of the conversation and if you're not getting the knowledge out there um, to, to, you know, get the debate going. So that's very much where we are now and where we're looking forward to going over the coming months and years. Perfect. Amazing. We look forward to following your journey. Absolutely. Um, I'm afraid to say, guys, that we're actually running out of time today. So just before we close, just wanted to ask a, a final question. So are there any other exciting insect-based products that you've got your eyes on? So beyond what you do, is there anything that you've seen going on with uh, insects in the food chain which has really excited you? Um, so apart from the, the cracker that we, we have now, we are we have another product in the pipeline, um, which is we call it a protein ball and the name kind of speaks for itself. Um, it's not salty like a cracker, it's sweet. And as I said in the beginning, that's, you know, the, the, the first um, target group that we have are protein hungry people. And that's why we came up with this um, application a protein ball. Okay, amazing. So, uh, it's great to know about the other products. I was just wondering if there's anything outside of Crick that you've seen with insects, which uh, the listeners would be interested to hear about. Something exciting other than what you're doing, I meant. Nothing at all. <laughs> <laughs> now that is the right answer. There you go. Good, uh, fair point. And what about you, Miha? Anything else other than the amazing things that you're doing? I think something that caught my attention some time ago was uh, Ento milk. <laughs> Ento milk. Yeah. Insect milk. We live in this age now that could as well be defined like as the alternative milk age. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so it, it seems that uh, some folks out there have created like a, an insect milk and they're making ice cream out of it. Wow. I've never heard that before. I think that's like a push, you know, kind of at the frontiers of what is possible yeah, here. Yeah. So I, 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 that's why I'm probably singling it out now, uh, because it is quite exciting to see, you know, that it's not necessarily just a protein powder, what we're talking about, or like an animal thing. But hey, maybe it could be something we put in our, you know, frappuccino. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> wonderful. All right, I'll look that up. Thanks very much, Miha. Um, so where can uh, our listeners find out more about both of your products and services? So Philip, where can people find out more about Crick? Crick.ch. That's it. It's our homepage. Although I have to say, 
I guess you have an international audience and at this point we're only selling in Switzerland, but mm -hmm. uh, we are looking at, you know, the export uh, opportunities and, and regulations. Okay, thank you. So you heard it here first, guys, from Switzerland first and then the world. Um, yeah. <laughs> and what about you, Miha? Where can people find out more about Better Origin? Yeah, you can find out more on our website, betterorigin.co.uk, um, and on our social media, which are starting to awaken. <laughs> so uh, do, do give us a follow. Cool things coming up in the following days and weeks and months. But yeah, if anyone is, you know, sort of interested in what we do and, um, you know, potentially interested in these, uh, the Internet of Insects and uh, our modules, then uh, give us a shout. Uh, we're certainly very interested to hear from, you know, early adopters. Fab. Brilliant. Yeah, we'll have to look out for that. Thanks very much, Meha. Yeah, thank you both so much for joining us today. Really, really fascinating discussion. Insect milk, you knew, looking out for that. And yeah. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I'll be looking out and following and see how you guys both develop. So good luck. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having us. Thanks again. Wonderful. Thank you very much, guys. And for our listeners out there, I think this is the first time I've ever heard a cricket referred to Tesla in the same sentence and the Internet of Insects. So that that's definitely staying with me. So thank you, everybody. This has been the Food Fight podcast from EIT Food. Keep fighting for a better food future. And if you want to check us out, uh, go to eitfood.eu forward slash podcast and hit us up on Twitter at EIT Food. Thanks very much, everybody. Mm -hmm.